Hey everyone, welcome back to Honesty Hour. This is our sixth episode. I am one of your hosts, Ragmi Kathur, and as usual, I am joined by Ethan Wong, my co-host. Hey, how's it going? It's good. Um, today, we're taking a look into the world of social media and the impacts that can have on mental health. Um, our Honesty Hour team thought it would be pretty important to address this issue, especially during this age, and also when the documentary The Social Dilemma has been kind of picking up some buzz. Yeah, um, I haven't come around to see the film yet just because of scheduling issues, but I'm definitely looking forward to watch the documentary. Yeah, it's definitely been kind of taking um, Netflix just by storm. A lot of people have been um, kind of tweeting and like freaking out about the about all the information that they're being provided in the documentary. So it'll be really interesting. But um, kind of going into the, what we're going to talk about in the podcast, um, yeah, social media can definitely have a significant impact on our mental health, um, especially when we're considering um, these pretty interesting stats that I found. Um, so 45% of adolescents report that they're online almost constantly. And another 44% say that they're online at least several times a day. Yeah, um, but there's also the other side of it, right? Like, um, according to a 2018 survey, 31% of adolescents believe that social media has mostly had a positive impact on their life. Um, and one, adolescence is a time when connections with peers is increasingly important, and social media provides opportunities for those social connections. It can help people from communities keep in touch with their friends who do not live nearby, and it can provide a place to get social support. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Um, I guess like something to consider, though, um, also something I found, too, was that one in three adults around like 38 percent see social media use as harmful and only five percent think that it's positive. Um, obviously, adolescents are the ones experiencing the social media more. They're the ones that are online. Um, but I think like the parents point of view is pretty interesting, too, and pretty valid because they're the ones who are able kind of to see how their children are reacting and to see the outside perspectives. Um, but yeah, it's a pretty interesting topic and we'll kind of get an inside look when we talk to our guest who um, is a YouTube content creator. Yeah, definitely. I'm definitely excited to hear her side. Um, but now moving on to our podcast, as usual, please subscribe and follow us on our social media, which is on Instagram at USC Honesty Hour Podcast and our website, usc.honestyhour.wixsite.com slash my site. And again, please bear with us in terms of the quality since we are recording through Zoom during this pandemic. So today our speaker is Amanda Elamian. Amanda is a student at USC. We will discuss a variety of topics that discuss diversity and inclusion, as well as social media. We will learn about Amanda's journey battling the mental challenges of being a Black student at USC, the academic struggles, as well as her development of her own YouTube channel. Please welcome Amanda. Hey Amanda, thank you so much for joining us. Um, this is Ethan, you didn't get to meet him earlier, but um, he's our other co-host. Ethan, do you wanna like tell her a little bit about yourself? Yeah, hi. Uh, yeah, I'm Ethan, I'm sophomore right now. I'm studying a business admin um, and I'm currently in Taiwan right now. So that's why I wasn't at the, the yeah. first meeting. That makes sense. yeah, yeah. Well, um, thanks for being with us today. Um, kind of to get it started off, we usually what we do is we kind of just like ask like how you've been doing and like if there's any um, like co coping mechanisms you've been using if you are struggling with anything. So I can kind of get us started off. Um, I've been pretty stressed out, I would say. I'm a senior as well. So I've been kind of going through like the job application process and it's not been as fun as I mean I didn't think it was gonna be fun in the first place but it has not been as great as I thought it was going to be um I just had like an interview today so it's just been pretty stressful but just kind of trying to stay calm during this time and balance like obviously applying to jobs at school right now so just kind of getting going through a list and checking off the points yeah I feel you yeah. I'm hmm I don't, I'm going to grad school, so I'm not doing the job application process. So I think I have, I'm not, you guys are stressed. I don't think I'm that stressed. Yeah. It's just like probably the same thing just for grad school, just those same emotions, but it's not as time sensitive, I think maybe as your guys' situation is. Yeah. Um, yeah I'm just busy, like all yeah. the time, just constantly busy. And it doesn't seem to be slowing down. 
And yeah, I feel like it honestly feels like it's speeding up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You did you yeah. yeah, definitely same. Um, I think for myself, I've been trying to pick up like just journaling a little bit, just to like take some time out of the day to like free write a little, try to um do a little bit of self care. Yeah. Yeah, definitely journaling can go a long way. I've I've been doing that for a while. It took me a little bit to get into, but props to you for starting it. I know it's it's a new thing to get in the habit of doing. But um, so maybe we can start off by kind of maybe you can give us like a little bit of an introduction about yourself, Amanda, just so that um, our viewers have like. Um, just a little bit of a glimpse of who you are. Like, I, obviously, you're a senior, as I mentioned, but what you're studying, um, what you're doing in your free time, and um, also, I guess, like, what you're doing in the future, as you mentioned, grad school. Okay, so, um, yeah, I'm a senior studying health and human sciences with an emphasis in psychology, and I'm also a dance minor, and I'm pre-med, so that's my grad school um, whatever it's called, it's mm. medical go to. Um, in my free time, I'm watching a lot of television, a lot of television. Um, I do my makeup a lot. That's really relaxing for me personally. And yeah, everything else that I used to do was outside, so I don't do it anymore. Mm. But that's what I'm doing right now. Yeah, in the future, so I want to be a doctor. I'm not sure what type yet exactly right now because I go through different phases of what type of doctor I want to be right now. I'm in an OBGYN phase because like I'm seeing a lot of issues there that I want to like fix because it's bothering me, but the phase could change Mm -hmm. like momentarily. But yeah, that's what I want to do with my life. Oh, cool. Yeah. And you run your YouTube channel related to beauty as well. So that must be something that's on your plate right now too. Yeah. So that's where I do like my makeup stuff, but also I just talk about anything on there that I want to do. Cool. Um, So I guess like maybe what we can start off doing is kind of going into a little bit about like how you grew up and then how you got involved in um, creating your YouTube channel and then um, what kind of influenced you to also go down the pre-med path. Okay, so I'll answer the pre-med question first because I had to write all my essays and stuff, so I have an answer actually. <laughs> so, I'm sure. Yeah, I've written this so many times, but I'll give you a from a heart answer, not like a mm-hmm. down answer. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be a doctor since I was a kid. That was also that was always my um. I didn't always. I don't dream of like careers. I don't dream of labor, so that's not my thing. But I've always wanted to like be a physician and do medicine. Um, for different reasons. One, because I was exposed to it really early. So I found out that I liked it really early. And then as I got older and became more conscious of the world around me, realized that since I want to create a change, I'm the change that I think is most dire exists in the healthcare industry. And I don't think people are doing stuff about it, but I don't think it's happening as fast as it needs to be. So that was around when I was like 11, 12. And I was like, yeah, I should definitely become a doctor then. Then as the years went on, I've always been good at math and science, so it was kind of going to be down that route anyway, whatever I was going to do. Yeah. And then I got to college. I applied to college actually as an engineering major. Okay. I I did engineering in high school. I don't like it at all. I hate it. I hate (laughs) it so much. It was terrible. But I applied to college as an engineering major, and I had to change it because it was going to be ridiculous. And I'm (laughs) glad I did because it would have been ridiculous. I wanted to do like biomedical, like chemical engineering, but I found that a health and human sciences degree was better for me personally, because then I, it was a smaller degree, like it's less units, so I can take as many classes as I want of other stuff that I'm interested in. Hmm. So that's the pre-med answer. The other answer, was, the other question was about oh. my YouTube channel. Yeah. Okay. So... Um, I don't know. How did this really start? Um, I've been watching YouTube for a very long time, since like 2011, 12, around that year. So I've been watching since then. And I wanted to do it when I was little, but I was 11, didn't know what I was doing. Then we fast forward to about like 2018. This is when I'm like heavy into makeup. So I'm doing a bunch of like makeup looks on Instagram and Twitter. And so you, the next step after that is usually YouTube. So I started my YouTube channel just randomly. It was, it had, there was no thought put into it at all. It was mm-hmm. out of the blue. And I did that. And I did makeup tutorials and I was like, this is whatever. And then I didn't post for a year because I got to college and I did not, freshman year was a whirlwind of chaos. So 
I did not have time for any of that for me personally. But after a year, I started my YouTube channel again. The reason why I started it again is because I was bored again. <laughs> Secondly, I started off my YouTube channel doing a bunch of just like me just talking in my car. I've been having those conversations with myself and my friends like for years and I just wanted to keep having them but I was like you can't keep bothering people with this stuff so I decided to just record it mm -hmm. and put it on the internet and people seem to like it and that's why it continued. What kind of conversations did you have that you uh, recorded in your car? Um, so the first ooh, my first video actually like from like this when I restarted my channel it was a video about Disney Channel. It's very bizarre, but I had it something that I wanted to talk about for a long time, and I'm like, let me just do it. I call my YouTube channel a beauty entertainment channel because that's the only way I think you can define it. I talk about anything I want to, but it's mostly like popular culture based, and then there's also the element of makeup in the beauty industry. But I talk about kind of whatever I want to, is what I've realized. Yeah, so the beauty entertainment part comes from the fact that I do my makeup as I'm making most of my videos and I talk about it. So like I'm doing my makeup as I talk about something related to the popular culture. So it's not just one or the other. Oh, I was just like, I was curious just because I, I don't know too much about like the YouTube world and what that's like to um, have like a following on that platform. So could you like kind of go into like, did you do anything to build your following specifically or was it just kind of putting out content that you enjoyed for yourself and just having people engage with it? Um, so yeah, yeah. I made videos that I wanted to see mm -hmm. and I made one video about, you wouldn't have, if you'd like, it's about this person named Emo Black Thought, it's Twitter personality, it's a relevant story. I made a video about that person and their whole situation. And because it was a big situation on Twitter, that was my first video to kind of like take off. But it didn't like take off like immediately. It was kind of random, it was way after. So I just kept making videos the entire time. And then that video started to take off. And then more people started to come to my channel. And I didn't really notice that people were coming until like I, the numbers started getting like really, really high. Once I hit like a thousand, I was like, oh, oh, okay. I didn't realize that's what was going on yet. And then I kept making videos unconscious of the number at all until I got to like 30K. And I was like, that's like a lot of people. I, my graduating class was 47. My <laughs> high school was yeah. approximately 400 people. So I was like, that's a lot of people. Yeah, after that point, I stopped looking at any sort of number until I got to 100K. And then from then I stopped looking at any sort of number whatsoever. Yeah. I think what I've done, because I don't really have like, I because I don't really know what happens either. Like I wish, because I'm like, <laughs> I could give people a formula, but I'm not really sure what I did yeah. to get to this point at all, yeah. especially like, because it happened kind of quickly and very randomly, I think to me. I'm also like not that like, I can't be too conscious of it because I have other things to do, like school, so. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I feel like that's like a lot of times like with, especially just on the platform for YouTube, it's just like obviously they provide you analytics that you can see about like who's engaging with your stuff, but at some point it just kind of comes down to people's own interests and things mm -hmm. that can't really be calculated. You don't know like yeah. what exactly is your factor that's bringing them in. Uh, so I'm just like, okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I feel like also with like, especially with this, like the platform, um, I know like there was, I was watching a YouTube video a couple of days ago and they were talking about like the comments that come on YouTube videos. And they're mm -hmm. talking about the comments versus Twitter comments versus YouTube comments versus Instagram comments. And a lot of the times YouTube comments can be very harsh. Yeah. Well, how do you, like, how do you handle that? Well, okay. So I read, this is what I have learned and what, um, pretty much if you're a black woman on YouTube, you figure this out within approximately like two months of your channel getting any sort of traction. I only read comments within the first hour of me posting the video. Cause then it's all people who are like subscribed to you. So mm -hmm. less likely to be as like me. But yeah. once it gets past like an hour or two, that's when crazy people start to come in. So mm -hmm. I really it's just, it's not worth it. Yeah. And I used to, I used to read them like a lot and it's, it's not worth it because people are cruel for no reason. So you're just like, there's no point in reading at all. 
and all that stuff. So I just, I, I upload my videos and I don't open that YouTube studio after that at all. That's what I've done to like keep myself healthy because yeah. they're crazy in those comments. No. Yeah. yeah, I think like being online just kind of gives people like a sense of security to like mm-hmm. just be anonymous and like say whatever they want. Like, like it's okay yeah um i was gonna ask um do you think that being a youtuber has like changed anything for you like in terms of your own mindset or maybe your goals or just like anything in general i think what has happened for me personally um okay so college has been like chaotic <laughs> for me it's chaotic but it's not but i think youtube like was the last piece of the puzzle in me like developing into a whole person i don't know because like you go through a lot of identity crises um like i have at least not everyone else just like you don't really like know who you are as a person but once you start like putting yourself out there on the internet you have to kind of know who you are as a person otherwise you're gonna be like involved in craziness for no reason you're gonna start reading comments for no reason so i think it's helped youtube has helped me become much more sure of myself and it's something that i can be like, even though I don't talk about it very often, it's something that I'm proud of and I can always be like, this is something that I've built myself, even though I don't really talk about it all that often. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's what it's helped me, like yeah. coming to myself. I feel like that's like, that's very interesting, like perspective, but also just like your experience, because I feel like um, there's also the flip side to that, where it's a lot of times like social media can like kind of harm people's self-worth or harm their self-image. Yeah. So like uh, what would you suggest to people because I know that's like uh, kind of going on into like the topic of why we're here to discuss like um why we're here having this podcast to discuss mental health so like what what have you found to be because obviously you said you did used to read the comments and how was that for you personally experiencing that and taking those in and then now how have you evolved in terms of your mindset that's a really good question. Wow. Okay, so um, but I didn't give this background. So I am first-generation American. My parents are immigrants to Nigerian. Oh. Uh, that matters because with the comments, we'll see. You'll see where I'm going. So that's first, and then two. Um, I grew up in Westchester County, New York. I went to a really, really white school, very dissimilar to USC. Those, because of those two things, I've heard a lot of insults in my life. Not like saying my parents are like rude or anything, but I've heard a lot of critiques about me as a person from my background and growing up. Not that it was like terrible. It's just that people critique you a lot, especially like through how I grew up. I was critiqued a lot. So now when I see comments on social media, like critiquing me, it's like, okay, I've heard worse is basically at my, where I'm at right now is the Mm -hmm. fact that I've heard worse. Back when I was reading comments and stuff, I kind of took everything with a grain of salt, like what Ethan was saying before, how people on social media, they have this like gall because you don't know who they are. So they'll say anything and they'll say anything crazy. I also think this has to do with me being, I've been really active on social media since I was like 11. Mm -hmm. Like I was on Tumblr and stuff, like starting like that early. So I'm like, when I say I've heard every insult ever, like at at this point, I'm just like, I'm really sorry. Like, but some stuff does still phase me, but at this point, I'm very just like, yeah. But there was a point, and all it really just took was me deciding to no longer read the comments. And it helped, it worked. Like, that one thing, it's really hard to do, but that one thing does really help. Yeah. Um, I guess, like, we can go into talking, too, about, um, just because you mentioned it as well, um, especially during the times of what's going on, being a black woman who's on YouTube. Mm-hmm. So what, how would you describe the space of YouTube for people of color? Uh, um, I know like a lot of times uh, it's, I mean, it is predominantly obviously do- dominated by like a, a lot of white content creators, but um, now I hopefully, I hopefully there's a shift, but I just want to hear your perspective as well. Um, well, I don't really consider YouTube a safe space for people of color at all because yeah. you don't do any, that platform is ridiculous. Oh, it's not just YouTube. It's all, all of these platforms mm-hmm. are ridiculous and they promote white supremacy and racism and all that kind of stuff. So no, YouTube's not necessarily a safe space for black women, but 
a lot of black people have been coming up the ranks on YouTube. It's taken a while, but there's been a lot of shifts. Like this past summer, there was a whole movement to like feature black content creators. So that happened for like three weeks and that was great. But then it stopped because it's usually just a phase that happens. So that's why I would say, no, YouTube's really not that safe of a space for people of color, especially when they allow other creators just spew nonsense on their platform and they get no repercussions. But I still like doing it. Like I have all these issues with YouTube all the time, but I still enjoy it. I think it's fun. And I think especially black women specifically have made certain subsections of YouTube what they are. Like the commentary community, which I guess I'm a part of, was pioneered by black women, not by me, by other black women. Mm-hmm. And that's the same in like the game community. Black um, gamers are the ones who created uh, like a bunch of these trends. Beauty community as well. But in general, I would say no, no to YouTube for black women. But I'm still there. So, yeah. have there been any specific YouTubers? Like obviously, as a YouTuber, you do watch YouTube yourself. So, are there any specific um, YouTubers that you would recommend maybe for our audience to listen to that you enjoy? that may be related to beauty, but can be outside of that, can also be related to, I don't know, anything that you're interested in. So I still watch beauty videos because I still love it, even though like that's not kind of what's at the top right now. Um, my favorite types of videos to watch though are commentary videos. So like I first got into commentary with us told by Kenya and it's Keisha. Those are two really great YouTubers that are like, are the reason why I'm able to do anything. And I also like my beauty, like those are like commentary. Then on the beauty side, we have like um, Shania Bell, like Jackie Ina, Raggedy Roy Al, um, just different kinds of people. YouTube, it's, once you find a couple of people, it'll like, the algorithm kind of sometimes will help you find mm-hmm. people that are similar to them. Sometimes it doesn't, depending on what section of YouTube you're in. But with me, it was pretty good at that, I think. That's how I was able to find anyone. I didn't like go up searching. The algorithm kind of just took me from person to person. And I was able to find I see. more people okay. to watch. Yeah. That's who I really enjoy watching. I also enjoy watching like Smokey Glow and like Abby Williamson, like Julia, the other people. Just people I put on my YouTube channel, like a section of like my favorite black creators during like the whole thing. So people oh. know where to watch. I think I kind of wanted to like touch upon something that you brought up before. Like, uh, when we were talking about, like, whether or not YouTube was, like, a safe space for Black women or, like, just Black people in general, um, I was I was thinking, like, what do you think YouTube can do to make changes? And, or maybe do you think there are any other platforms that are, like, better models that YouTube could follow, maybe? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I would say, firstly, YouTube, like, needs to condemn white supremacy. They haven't done that. So once they do that... Um, maybe someone else who is more versed in the technicalities of social media can come up with something because my expertise is like cells and stuff. So I'm not really in tune with how social media platforms like algorithms can work. But the first step I would say is for YouTube to actively condemn white supremacy. Step one. Step two, deplatform all of these neo-Nazis who are on the platform. That could be helpful perhaps um because a lot of people when they hear black women saying it's specifically black people say it but black women they start acting crazy when we start talking when we say stuff like this it just comes people are like well you're just being bitter that you don't have like certain numbers or that kind of stuff really not true no one really cares it's kind of just the fact that when a platform exists and the top creators are all racist like violently vehemently racist it looks bad on you and it, it you're not condemning it. Clearly, you don't care, which means you support it, which has to go. Yeah. So, yeah, I would say they should start there. I don't really know what they should do beyond that. Um, hmm. Yeah, it's just the way algorithms are made because, like, um, they'll push because white people make the algorithms. So white people will be pushed because the algorithms. So that could also go as well. But that's my level of expertise. Those couple of things should happen first. Yeah, I think that can also go hand in hand with um, like diversifying also the employees that they hire Mm -hmm. even more to help with that as well. Yeah, Um, I guess touching on the subject of also being a student of color, maybe we can move on to talking about what it's like to also be a student of color 
um, pursuing the pre-health path as well. Okay. So that's I like got I got you at this too. I wrote an essay question on awesome. this. Awesome. Okay. So at USC, pre-meds are annoying, but everyone <laughs> knew that because we met at least one. They're not fun. I was one of them at one point. Yeah. We, we know what it's like. They're not fun. They're not interesting. <laughs> and they're also racist. I would love to tell you a couple. Um, oh, God. We'll see. So basically how it, there's not a lot of people of color in the pre-med community. Hmm. Okay. Because people of color is a term. POC solidarity is not necessarily a thing that everyone subscribes to. Yeah. Don't like to use that term often because mm. some of the POC in the pre-medical department participate in oh, yeah. targeted racial harassment of mm-hmm. other students. So you can get my draft. Um, it's just a lot of, there's a lot of issues that no one seems to be wanting to resolve that I want to resolve. Issue one, our curriculum. This isn't just like a USC thing. Yeah. It's way like what classes we have to take. You take all these sciences, not, not saying we shouldn't have to take, I'm not saying that, but Compared to the amount of high science classes that we have to take, there's like one or two classes talking about actual human beings, psychology and sociology. And there's not time in these science classes to talk about how, talk about any issue that would pertain to the healthcare industry. So like race, class, gender, all that kind Mm -hmm. of stuff. There's no time to talk about it in these classes. It's limited to one class, one sociology class, one semester. So there is no place to discuss or to change the opinions of pre-medical students. So all it does is it allows for pre-med students over four years to keep their terrible, bigoted opinions. Then you get to senior year or junior year and you finally take sociology and now you're hearing all of the stuff people have been thinking for the past three years. But now it's kind of too late because they're all going to apply to med school in the next year. Issue one. Two, labs are racist breeding grounds. Every black woman on this campus could tell you what labs are like for us. One, you're usually the only black girl in the lab, black person in the lab. Just I'll speak from my experience. Usually I'm just the black, only black woman in the lab. That's because you get there, you're the only black person in the room. People don't want to work with you. It's not like, it's usually not a conscious thing. It's just like you end up being one of the last people left getting mm-hmm. find a partner so you just end up standing there it's not always conscious a lot of people are usually friends in labs so like you're just like eh, because there also is not a lot of black students in pre-med but the ones that are we all know each other we all love each other great people great mm-hmm. people but when we're in lab the issues come in when people um don't listen it's a it's a labs are breeding grounds for microaggressions because no one wants to listen to what i have to say so for example i had a lab partner I would read directly from the lab manual, literally telling her what to do, and she wouldn't believe me. So she would second guess every single thing that I say. She'd try to check my work with a TA every five minutes when that's not necessary. It's, a, it's like general chemistry. It's not that serious. But this would continue. Then she would do things. She'd call like little like, they'd call, people will call you stupid in lab. They'll insinuate that you don't belong at this school. Every time it's something chaotic. So that's lab two, three, office hours, nightmare. So again, you're pretty much, when I went to office hours, I've, it was usually just me and my friend, only black girls there. And when you walk in to the office, everyone does this thing. They turn around and stare at you. And it's a cock of the head that asks, like, what are you doing here? And it happens every single time. And I'm like, well, I'm in the same class as you. I've been in the same pre-medical required classes as you for the past three years. I don't know why this like surprise factor happens every time I come into the office hours, but it still does. And when you get to office hours, you can't speak to professors the same way other students can. We have to be incredibly mindful of how we talk. Because if I were to go into office hours brazen, like some of these people, the white men in STEM classes, the way some of them walk into the office hours and they will basically yell at the professor. So I can't do that because all the stereotypes will start coming out. So I have to walk into office hours already toning myself down in case I don't usually have issues with my professors besides the fact that science classes or read out classes for no reason. That's besides the point. But I'll walk into class. I'll walk into office hours and 
you just feel like unwelcome and unwanted there. And it's not just in one class. It's just consistently throughout every single pre-med required class, Black students voice this and nobody says or cares about it at all. The only people who are talking about it are Black pre-med students. You talk to the advisors at the school, I don't know what's going on in that department. It's nothing. Nothing's happening in that department. They just sit there and twiddle their thumbs. That's, those are a lot of, there's more. Hmm. Those are the three main issues that you face as a person of color in the pre-med like community at the school, but also people of color can engage in anti-blackness. Yeah. Some often do. So yeah, that was a long winded. Those are the three main issues I see. Hmm. What else can I say? Yeah, there's just no resources. You don't really know what to do in those situations. Cause like, like I went through my whole, that whole lab thing. And I mean, I talked to my lab to and I was like, I don't like this. They kind of tell you to get over it and then go back and continue doing what you're doing. So you can't really do anything about it. You kind of have to just take it. And I don't like that, which is why I have a lot of issues with the way pre-med students are taught because over this past summer, when it was people like students from colleges were getting like exposed on Twitter and stuff for being racist. It was a lot of pre-med students forget it. Like it's, it was eerie. It was, it was like, it was heavily, heavily, mostly pre-med students who were constantly getting at different universities, getting exposed for saying racist stuff, including a couple at USC got exposed. And I'm wondering, so they were about to go to med. They were about to go to med school. They exposed like three seniors who were at USC who were in the process of applying to med school. So these racist people have made it throughout four, not four, like three years of training, and were never once confronted with their bigoted beliefs because they didn't have to be. Because there's no place where they'd be confronted. Because that sociology class is a joke. Because I took it, never read a textbook, never did a reading, just sat there. And was like, my experience was enough to take that class. So I don't want to have to take classes like that. Uh, that class was really annoying. Uh, one of my primary issues. Because also no discussions happened in that class at all. Like it's just this lady talking at us about like issues that doctors should be completely versed in. But if you go and ask anybody who took that class, like anything, they'll look at you confused. Because nobody learned a thing. So they're just kind of making you aware of the issues, but not really teaching you about them. It's bizarre, actually. Like, if you think of it, it's bizarre. There's a few points I wanted to touch on, because you said a lot that was really, really insightful. Yeah. Um, so, like, the first part, obviously, was that you mentioned the problem was just kind of not having it ingrained in the curriculum to be aware of different aspects that affect medicine and healthcare. So... Yeah, with that, so both of my parents are doctors, um, so I like I, I know where you're coming from as well because my mom even was bringing this up to me, especially with what's going on in the world today with the whole Black Lives Matter movement. She was, she came up to me and she was telling me that like when she was in her residency, there was um, only one black student within her class within her residency program, and she remembers that this student was like one of her really good friends and she remembers just seeing this shift every time she would be like called on by the professor or like having to engage with other white students she'd see a shift in this her persona to having to be what you were saying the whole tone down or trying to be more of like a just like a lighter presence which just like also wasn't her it was just like she was such an outgoing personality and that kind of relates to what you're saying is just um what you had to go through and it's still going on today. Obviously my mom went to school, like a, it's been many, many years. So it's just, it's been a while, but it's just still going on today, especially when you think you try to see that at like a university level, it, you'd hope it wouldn't be that way, but it's just not, it's not the case at all. And that's what makes me, Ooh, see this, like talking about it. And I'm like, ugh. so yeah. you sit and you're like in OCHEM and you hate it. I hate it. And I'm like, why do I keep doing this to myself? And I'm like, it's for this reason. Because this all needs to go. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't have this again. Because then they sit, on, they sit on their hands and wonder why we have all these issues. And I'm like... <laughs> I can't be the first person. Like, say, I can't. There's no way. 
I can be the first person saying any of this because I'm not. You're so not. Like, you're definitely no not. one's. No one's done anything, and no, like I'm. Uh, I just, I, and the sad thing is, it's like comes down to like what people are prioritizing. And this is not one of them right now because it's just, it's not profitable to the school to have to invest in more of to adjust their curriculum, you know, which is just also like very, very problematic. Mm-hmm. And I think like a lot of the focus, this is my, this is also because simultaneously while you're dealing with this situation, you also, it's the fact that you're, pre-med and you're taking all these insane that's what i wanted to touch on too yeah i'll just let me give my whole pre-med brand okay (laughs) they're crazy first of all if you look at the required classes for pre-med just look at a spreadsheet it might not look like a lot because i've noticed that when i show course look they're like what's the big deal and i'm like Clearly, you've never stepped foot in the chemistry department at this school. So you're taking monstrous classes. It's weed out classes every, because I'm applying to go right after my graduate mm. college, which is like fast. Like most people take a gap year. That is this like a, because um, I know they have programs where like you go to like a graduate school. I forgot what it's called. Um, it's close back. I didn't want to do Okay. Yeah, like you finish out your degree, then you come back. For a certain period of time and take the pre-med classes oh but you've already taken all the classes yeah, I've taken all. yeah if you're doing it the way that i do which is still a lot of people still do it the way that i do but most people are smarter but <laughs> so you're taking a weed out class, at least one it's usually two at oh least, was my weed out class you're taking at least one every single semester yeah and i'm like so do you want doctors or not question because second, that's my first issue. Second issue, the issue I have with weed out classes specifically. Why on earth <laughs> is general chemistry? I'm okay, I will get on in a second. General chemistry is a weed out class. The class is hard enough. All of these classes are already difficult. General chemistry is hard. Ochem is hard. Biology is hard. These are already hard subjects to comprehend. And then you make them harder because you want to get rid of half your and also you require that they that students who are freshmen who are just getting into a new environment take these classes oh let me tell you so this is okay because you come into college first of all this is why i say my freshman year was chaotic i didn't know what the i didn't know what i was doing at all i didn't know it all right i did very well in high school i would say i breezed by this is why we have an issue because you get to college and it's not the same biology nightmare why is biology eco ecology why why do we take that i'm not judging but that class was nightmarish me i didn't know how to study because studying in for these classes is very different than high school even though you're learning the same material issue three why did i take ap bio in high school did the whole curriculum get to college and not do well on the class doesn't make any sense because it's the same materials. What changed? Tests, professors, and all the rest of the stuff. Yeah. They make it, they, they, do, they do all their tricks in there. The material, it was the same textbook too. I didn't buy a new textbook. Oh my God. It's the same material. Uh, but all of a sudden, my gripe is not biology because that was partially my fault. I didn't go to class. Go to class. I didn't go to class <laughs> because when I retook the class and I went to class, my letter grade went up two full grades ridiculous unnecessary what a waste of time back to what about weed out classes so you have these already incredibly difficult classes that nobody likes and nobody enjoys except you know the crazies and then you make them even harder why are averages why was i took calculus here too why were the averages on those test 40s that doesn't make any sense and he was bold and happy to say the average on the test was a 39 and i Never in my life. I was like, am I not supposed to be? Also, wicked imposter syndrome. What all this does to you is I'm just sitting here like, maybe this was a fluke. Like, how did I get in here? No, that's not what's supposed to happen at all. Yeah, we recently had a conversation with one of our previous um our previous guest too, he was talking about imposter syndrome was like a big thing he's been experiencing at USC. It's not just you, just so you know, it's like a lot of people. Yeah. And I like, think it goes back to the whole, um, like the driving factor behind like universities, like 
like USC, which is like a lot of it obviously is profit, but what it's also coming from is like reputation is a big thing. And the way that we've in our country kind of perceived reputation is obviously academic rigor, competitiveness, and being also having very slim acceptance rates. So like, it's just like this combination that kind of creates this environment that you're describing, which is just like unfair, um, non-accommodating to like everyone who might want to pursue this type of path. So yeah, it's, it comes down to, there's are like a lot of structural issues that are pushing that forward. Yeah, and that's why I'm like, it all seems to go. I mean, that's why you want to get into this and you want to change that. So I'm like, I just, cause I sit there and I'm like, guys, really? They're like, no, cause it was really upsetting. Cause I was in my social, I'm not, not everyone learns about black history in school. Mm-hmm. Like, there are some things as a pre-med student you should know about. The Tuskegee syphilis experiment is something that pre-med students should know about. No one knew about it in my class. It's me and my friend Alexis, who was also black, who were like, oh, yeah, oh. And there was no, there's no um, push to make um, students uncomfortable in these classes either. It's all complacency. Everyone is fine with everyone just like, not like, there were times where she'd ask a question and no one would respond and she'd just move on. But I'm like, no, that's actually a really important discussion to have. Like she like would skip past. No, this is not just at her. Our class was also like, didn't want to do anything. So like, it's not just her fault. We're having conversation about like redlining and nobody answers and she doesn't push it forward. Something probably important to learn about and when you're pre-med, we're learning about different health disparities the conversation goes nowhere. She's not forcing kids to discuss. We don't engage in conversation at all. No. It has to all go. Something has to change. Which is just also like, which is very problematic in itself because the duty of a doctor is to like not cause any harm. And how are you supposed to do that if you're already having a biased and racist mindset? To There's no way to like... It just doesn't, those two mindsets don't align together. Doesn't. And then, but like, this is the, those types of people will become doctors over the, everyone else. It's very, very crazy. Because these, these racist bigots will get into med school over the rest of us. Because, you know, they have, even the legacies and the stuff. And it's like, fine, we get it. But, all of that. Yeah. Because every time I look at it and I'm like, the kids that, you know, do a little bit better. Because, you know, they have like the test banks and the homework banks. And I'm like. Yeah, well, I have none of that. Mm-hmm. So we're just like doing OCHEM just completely raw. Like everyone else has all these banks and stuff. And my friends and I are like, well, let's see. Let's see what we're about to get into now. Chaos. You know there was a test bank for OCHEM. So there you go. That's where I was at too. Yeah. <laughs> they, OCHEM, they have, a, they had a, it didn't work because our professor kept changing the test, but they had a lot of, previous information and I'm like where did you I don't need to know I don't need to know where they got it so I guess with your experience though um just overall at USC I'm sure that had to like just having the experience of being pre-med student and also just yeah. going through just so many things in terms of figuring out your place within that mm-hmm. kind of environment mm-hmm. did you struggle with any like were there any things that you struggled with mental health wise and then do you have any Do you have any advice for people who are going down the same path as you? Yeah. Okay. So my freshman year, looking back, so I had a lot of fun. Great, great time. But I was not a happy person. Like I did a lot of fun things because it was freshman year. Like a lot of firsts happened. Like it was a clear, I like moved across the country. Clearly there was a lot of exciting stuff happening, but I look back and I wasn't happy. And I realized I wasn't happy because I got to sophomore year. And I realized that I was happy for the first time. And I was like, okay, so you didn't feel like this last year, which means that there was an issue. So one of the reasons I was able to do that is basically who I hung out with. Not, there was no, I didn't have any issues with anybody, but when you place yourself in certain situations, it's like contributing to your stress and contributing to you not having a great time. So 
get rid of those people and you'll be on your way to a better path. Next step, I um, am an introvert. I like to have a lot of time with myself. So I do a lot of self-reflection. My mom always taught me this. Um, I don't journal though. I don't know. I've never gone. I can't journal. I'm not like, I can't do it, but I've been taught my whole life to self-reflect every single day. So maybe I do journal to a certain degree, but yeah, ever I talk to myself really, really often. And that helps me work through any, that's how I discovered that I wasn't happy in freshman year was me going over situations over and over again and realizing, Hmm, maybe wasn't in the best state of mind there. And what I've done to fix it. Well, I think first recognizing all of the issues that what I was able to do is look back at my freshman year and figure out what I didn't like. And then I can never do that stuff again. And I haven't done any of that stuff again. Also, I just think college, a lot of things that make college, college, like just can destroy your mental health. Like, um, I used to stay up till 4 a.m. for no reason. No reason. I can't do that anymore. But like, there's no reason for that. So it probably wasn't helpful to my brain to like go to bed at four and wake up at seven the next day. Probably added to some issues. So I stopped doing that. But yeah, I really advocate for self-reflection and talking to yourself really often because if you don't have someone always to bounce off your ideas, you are your best person to bounce ideas off of because you'll hear when you sound crazy. If I'm like, like trying to talk myself out of doing something and I'm like, you sound not great and I'm able to recognize it in myself but yeah I would just say like freshman year was not great sophomore year was a year of like healing for myself like sophomore year the whole year I was able to like look back at freshman year figure out what went wrong what to not do again I also was living with considerably less people I lived on Somerville my freshman year it's a historically black four so it's like four of the four uh, it's a bunch of people then I went sophomore year and just lived with my friends so it was less people which I liked so I was able to do more of that self-reflection and then junior year was the first year that I think I started living my life and then we're at senior year and we're just here but yeah self-reflection talking to yourself it looks weird it's I really like what you said, though, about how, like, when you talk to yourself, you kind of realize uh, the craziness, I guess, inside yeah. your own voice. You and, like, hear. honestly, yeah, you, it's a great way to reflect. You'll hear what you sound you're just nuts. And I'm like, really? <laughs> Not great Think like that. Maybe stop. I guess, like, one thing, too, in terms of advice, let's go into people going down the pre pre-med. I know that was, like, you have mentioned just general experience as being at USC, but maybe pre-med. What's the advice, best advice you can give someone? Um, all right. I, if you, what? If you do not think, if you can't pick out the annoying pre-med students, you are the annoying pre-med student. I don't think any of them are self-aware of that which creates a lot of issues. One, two, leave your house. Ah, we all love the good grades. I know. I, story time, sophomore spring, I took organic chemistry one. When I say this class ruined my life, I was not a happy camper at all. I was not doing well at all in the class at all. Kind of broke down to my parents on the phone. I don't cry in front of them. So me having a breakdown didn't go too well. But, and then I took my final, my organic chemistry final. I realized this when I was studying for my MCAT. I have never studied for a test that hard in my life, besides the MCAT. Never in my life have I studied for any test as much as I studied for the organic chemistry final. Didn't study for the ACT that hard. Didn't study for any AP exam that hard. It was that, it was that one singular test. And I got a C. And I cried tears of joy. That's not normal and that's not healthy. Everyone needs to get out of their house. Not now, obviously, but like when you're pre-med, getting stuck in that like A, straight A, crazy, absolute nonsense because getting an A in organic chemistry is not realistic for most people who don't think in that way. So I would say, one, to be comfortable whether you're annoying or not. Two, how you can do this is by not having pre-med friends. I have pre-med friends. A lot of them actually kind of hypocritical, but I have friends that are not pre-med. 
don't talk about pre-med all the time because you'll just stress yourself out. It's not fun. It's not enjoyable to anyone. That's three or four. Five, um, this could be perceived as rude. Front row people might not be your people. So I would not sit in the front row. It's very random, but like people understand what I'm saying. Don't sit in the front. That's not your crowd. Like if you're not one of those, it's not your crowd. So you need to like move up the staircase a little bit. Five, go to office hours. Go to every single office hour. Every single one. Because it actually does work. Because I thought everyone was lying too, but they're not. Office hours do work and some professors are nice. Some are just awkward. If you're not gonna like, but okay, then we have issue number like 4.5. Pre-med students go in there to the office hours and will say anything except about the subject at hand. So don't do that either, but go to office hours. Next, what was my next statement? You need one friend in every single class. Um, I, how I made friends in classes, because again, I don't really like talking to strangers, but helps if you can like crack a joke, if you're funny to the person sitting next to you, get to know them a little bit because you know, you can do stuff together, homework, lab reports, lab reports, lab reports. Doesn't have to be your lab partner. Find someone else that they're not as interesting as you want them to be because both of my lab partners were annoying as hell, sorry, to, but they were really on my last nerve. So I would say, make that friend in your class. Hmm. I have eons of advice for pre-med students because they teach everything. Whoa, number six, don't listen to these advisors because they tried to tell me and everyone in my, I think subsequent grades as well, to take biology and chemistry at the same time. They tell you to do that. That's sick. So I would say you need to find an, another opinion. And I would say that other opinion should be someone who is currently pre-med, not an advisor, because they, be, they really lead people in the wrong directions. And lastly, drop classes before you fail them like I did. Like now there was, there's not a D on my transcript anymore, but there was a D there from this 120, but then you retake the class and it's no longer there, but it's not nice to be there. Um, so yeah, and then lastly, go to class because um, I didn't, and it didn't work. You don't know the material at all, like the way you should when you go to class. So that'd be my last piece of advice is to go to class. It doesn't matter if it's at nine in the morning or eight in the morning, just go and go to SI sessions too, because I didn't go to those either. Ridiculous. It's ridiculous. That's why when you look back and self-reflect, you see the errors of your way. Why didn't I go to class? Unnecessary. And now you waste a whole semester I had to retake the class again, sitting through BISC 120, which is about plants and evolution. Again, I did not like that, but um, that was proper punishment. I need to take that class again because it was ridiculous. Yeah, I but feel I like there's just a lot for you to know and like have to know, and there's no one helping you navigate. There's no, that's why I'm. I'm like I should write a book because they're like a lot of people are this is my thing cuz you feel alone when you're like Who's i making just got it? 40 making on this it. test and someone just got a 97 you feel alone in that but you don't realize that most people have gotten the 40 with you. they don't tell you that they only tell you about the 97 and i think that's sick yeah <laughs> that's just me though i think that's sick yeah and yeah. you know they put some little grade distributions up on the board and i'm just like don't look at those either because <laughs> those people didn't also those people didn't leave their house for days on end you are a wholesome well-rounded person and you can interview well they can't <laughs> just, yeah, yeah they can't talk <laughs> they can't talk to people i can my grades aren't as great but I can talk in an interview. Self-awareness is key. Self-awareness is key too. So yeah. that's great. Well, I guess we are coming to the end of the podcast. Um, we usually go for about an hour, um, but we just kind of want to give you time just before we end having you on here to, um, for, first of all, for us to say thank you so much for being a part of this. We really appreciate you um, taking the time. It was such an interesting perspective to have, especially just, um, from a senior's perspective, we haven't had a senior on here yet, but from a senior's perspective, also as a pre, um, 
med student and then additionally as a black student you provided some really insightful things that i think a lot of our listeners will take value to so thank you so much they don't be telling people anything yeah i I think it'll go a long way with people who are on the same path as you and um hopefully it'll help a lot yeah but then i was just saying is there anything else you'd like to say to our listeners before we end this podcast today sure all right, let's see. Because, okay, as a senior, you look back and you're like, most of this stuff doesn't matter. Not saying you shouldn't like put your all into everything that you do, because I believe why do it if you're not going to like put effort into it. But recognizing that a lot of it is very irrelevant earlier will help you. Like, I'm talking about like your freshman year being like, hmm, maybe it's not that. I just think, but this is, okay. Here, I'm going on a tangent again. This is just how, like you said before, how we're socialized to like think. Everything has to be perfect. You have to get the highest grades, the highest, as highest that. And I'm the mentality needs to go as early as possible. For me, it had to go my freshman year because it was not my freshman year, my sophomore year. I tried it my freshman year. That whole thing of you have to be perfect, get all these A's, and it didn't work. So clearly, that mentality had to go. And I think if you come into college with just wanting to learn instead of wanting to get like a 4.0 or do this or get this grade or get into this school, you'll have a much more enjoyable time. But I know I sound crazy because the GPA still matters and still exists. Like just pretending that it doesn't is not worth your time either. So that's why it's kind of like, it sucks. Cause I can be, cause for your mental sanity, you should we all should just think the way, like I said before, but in order to succeed or what they deem as success, you can't necessarily always think that way. But I would tell you to think that way anyway, because your brain or whatever, your head, you're much more relaxed as a person and you need to be in a better state of mind to do well on what you want to do well in. That's also my issue with that community nobody sleeps and everyone drinks way too much coffee. You need to go to bed and put everything down. Ada, so this is my thing. I don't study past 10 p.m. I never have and I never will because I, my brain doesn't work the same way. Knowing that about yourself, knowing those little things about yourself will save you a lot of pain and anguish. So what is my final statement? I don't really know. Hmm. I would say... have more fun oh because life is so short oh but you have to do these grades and stuff. i know just have as much fun as you want honestly i'm not someone who says like like not don't take care of your grades don't take care of your schoolwork don't do any of that you should do all of that do your schoolwork and stuff but like if you're not having a great time maybe it's time to tone it back that's what i should have done in my freshman year is toned it back if i wanted to do all that crazy stuff Hmm, but I didn't. And now I'm telling people don't make the same mistakes I made. Hmm. Yeah. We'll see. Well, that's like a great that's a great thing to hear. I think a lot of people don't really hear that from like the community at all have fun or like just they don't. That's why ah, this is really sick. Because I'm like, I can say that, but I know because I, I would have said the same thing to myself yeah. when I was a sophomore. I would have been like, but this the, the, the final is next week. Yeah. So like, you want me to forget about my grades then? No. But, like, we need to, produ- we need well-rounded, wholesome, not, like, burnt out human beings to exist in the next four years. So, one, something has to give. Yeah. And I would say during a pandemic, mm, no, your mental health isn't the thing that has to give. It's something else. Yeah. It's, um, it's the others. Yeah, absolutely right. And that's why we're here. We just want to yeah. tell people that it's as important as anything else in your life. And while it might be the easiest thing to give up, it shouldn't be the first thing to go. Nope. Yeah. Don't do that. Because then you end up huh, not happy. You can't do what you want to do if you're not there to do it. So exactly. I'm just like, yeah. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today. We really appreciate of having you. I had so much fun. Yeah, we loved hearing about your experience and we will definitely like have also like your social media, I mean, your YouTube channel, like linked in our um, description too. So other people can check out what you're doing. But um, 
just stay safe and healthy and um, good luck with medical school and everything in your future. Thank you so much. You guys are really good at this. Wow. <laughs> so responsible. Very well put together. Professional. Like, I'm, glad. I'm glad you think so. Yeah, I'm not like that. I'm, that's why I'm kind of like, Ooh. No, we yeah. love it. And it was just made, you made it really easy to have a conversation. So, yeah. I hope so, because hmm, I don't be, I don't want just so stressed. We yeah. all need to take it. It's definitely true. Well, all right. Well, have a good rest of your weekend. And we really appreciate you speaking with us. Thank you. Thank you guys so much, too. Have fun. It's not a game. It's a red stick.